0: Hi friends, welcome to the Connected Families podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Bellward. Our purpose in this podcast is to guide you to receive God's grace and truth, and then to equip you to pass that grace and truth on to your children. I'm so glad that you're here today. Well, today will be a sensitive and intense conversation. (laughs) I say that with a little bit of humor. The topic that I will be discussing with Lydia Rex and Lynn Jackson will be about the sensitive and intense kiddos in our homes. Many homes have at least one. These are kiddos who are intense, who don't appreciate loud noises. Well, we're going to talk a lot more about that. Lynn Jackson, co-founder of Connected Families, is joining me, as well as another of our staff coaches, Lydia Rex. Well, before we get started, I want to be sure that you're aware that we just released a short, free online course called Seven Practical Calming Strategies for Kids. You can get all the information in our show notes. Well, Lynn, welcome to the podcast again. You joined me for, for more than half of our episodes, and they're just so much fun. It is great to be here. Thanks. (laughs) We learn a lot, Lynn. We often cry together, don't we? But we are always grounding ourselves in just the Lord's love, his love in the midst of our struggle. And we have good times together.
1: Mm -hmm. For sure.
0: We do. Lydia Rex is here with us too. Lydia, welcome to the podcast again.
2: Hey, Stacy!
0: excited to be here with you today. Uh, yeah, so you are on staff as a parent coach. You are also co-hosting the deep dive course that Lynn is writing right now. That's called Sensitive and Intense Kids. And you've joined me on the podcast many times. A few times now. It's been a few times. I know that in episode 93, we talked about when homeschooling is overwhelming and episode 89 is powerful new perspectives on parenting. We just always appreciate your voice, Lydia. Well, thanks, Stacy. Well, Lynn and Lydia, we are going to hear both of your stories today about why you're uniquely able to speak about sensitive and intense kiddos. Um, but I want to just start off with kind of laying the groundwork a little bit and ask you the question. What do we mean by the term sensitive and intense? Is that an official label? Is it a medical term? Is it an IEP that schools give? Lynn, could you start off by just explaining the term? No, it is not an official term
1: or a medical one or IEP or anything. And that's on purpose, just because we want parents to be able to think through just a neutral way of looking at these kiddos that are struggling more. And oftentimes it just describes it well to say they're they're sensitive, they're a little more sensory sensitive. They may think more deeply, and you just have a sensitive awareness of emotions and people around them, and more reactivity. And then there's just that intensity too of big feelings and big struggles and just strong reactions. And so those aren't bad things. They just are neutral character qualities that we can develop over time. So it's a catch-all for these kids that are just sort of bigger than life. (laughs) Bigger (laughs) Bigger than than
0: life, yeah.
1: Lydia, what would you add to that?
2: Yeah, I love how you describe that. Bigger than life. I describe my sensitive, intense youngest as he is just the most incredible, wonderful little person in the spiciest package I ever met. Day to day life is spicy. It's just intense. There's big feelings and just kind of those extra layers of complexity to a lot of things. So
0: I know that parents are like, hmm, they're always wondering, oh, is my child sensitive and intense? And how do I know? So I wonder if you could just talk more about what that looks like. You said spicy, but let's get really specific and practical. What does that mean in daily
2: life? Well, oftentimes, you know, Mealtimes are tough, bedtime is tough, potty training is more difficult. You look at, you know, other parents and other kids, and then you look at your child and you think, "Well, why is this so hard for us, is what I was thinking a lot. You know, the sensory sensitivities that Lynn talked a little bit about, you know, their clothes are uncomfortable, they don't like to be touched, or they're touching everything, they're bouncing off the walls, high energy level are some of the things that I think we commonly see.
1: Sure, just bigger reactions to anything, you know, like auditory things, big reactions to what we would perceive as small sounds, over or underreacted to hot, cold, or pain. You know, it's like the bath temperature has to be perfect. They overreact if, if someone bumps into them because they feel like they've just been assaulted. <laughs> you know, just lots of things like that, that they're just wound more tightly than other kids and they react in bigger ways. And we look at and we call it, oh, that's an overreaction, but actually that's maybe a pretty appropriate reaction based on how things felt to them. Cause mm-hmm. our sensory processing system has a lot of work to do. It's very complicated. We have to dial down or ignore what's unimportant dial up and focus on what's important. We have to coordinate that between different sensory systems so that it makes sense. And then we have to label it with emotional tags and decide if it's a, something to remember. So it's very complicated and yeah. it's easy for these kids to just be bombarded by sensory sensations that are overwhelming and they can't adjust those dials well.
2: And um, what it often looks like is a lot of misbehavior. I had a a family that started coaching recently and their belief that they struggled with was this kid is ruining our family. Mm. The big outbursts, the anger, the aggression. and, And that can often be a way that it feels as well as is. This behavior is just too much. It's way out of proportion.
1: This child is smaller energy. The others aren't getting any. They're ruining
0: conflict, my vacation because uh-huh. the transition and the change. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. If there's conflict in our family, it's usually this child and someone else. Yes. Yes. <laughs>
0: Well, I know that Lydia, you've already mentioned you have a sensitive and intense spicy child in, in your family and Lynn, you and Jim do too. And so I wonder, like, how did you know that you had a sensitive and intense child? That's another, you know, this is a question that parents are asking, like, is this a spectrum. Like, how do I know this is a thing? And it's something we're dealing with and not just developmental or a normal stage. Can you talk more about that? Our oldest son was
1: initially very calm kid, but then his little sister was often stressed and distressed and just seemed very upset about typical things like would try to crawl off the diaper changing table (laughs) because she hated it. And there was a day that she was in between our bed and our dresser. And she was banging her head just to try to calm herself down. So I pulled her up on top of me. And I thought, Okay, you want big, intense input, I'll get you some. And so I started pounding her back. I mean, not abusively, but yeah, (laughs) vigorously. And she fell asleep on me pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And so then I'm like, Okay, this isn't typical. So it's kind of like when you see some things that are just like, This doesn't make sense in how I see kids typically growing. And this shouldn't bother them that much. What's going on with our son? It was big auditory sensory issues. He would start crying with a blender or a vacuum cleaner. Or even if he was sick, he would start crying with the sound of the furnace fan going on. So bigger reactions than seem normal. And, you know, at this age, a child isn't just making this up to get attention, something's going on in the nervous system.
2: Yeah, no, really, both of my kids have some sensitive and intenseness to them. My my daughter, as a baby needed really strong input for her to calm down. What does that uh, mean, Lydia? Strong so input. She would only calm down if we were sitting on a yoga ball bouncing her (laughs) Uh (laughs) or wearing her in a really tight baby carrier where she was kind of swaddled to my chest. She just craved that deep pressure, the movement. She was one of those babies you couldn't sit down with her very much. She wanted to be moving. She needed to be having those sensations to calm so, and then, you know, my son, sensitive in different ways, constantly moving. I think I didn't sit down for a couple years of his life. And I remember having a thought of like, I can't go anywhere. He just runs. How can I keep him safe? It was like, I got to keep him in the stroller or he's going to be a half mile away by the time I look up. Jumping, climbing, constant activity was a big hallmark of him for sure. The biggest thing was just, you know, there's something in my mom gut that said, I don't think that this is quite typical. I think something's going on here. And I, I'm not sure what my kids need, but it's something different than maybe what I'm doing.
1: Yeah. Our kids were incredible movers as well. Our daughter on her first birthday. So she's one year old and she gets a big bouncing horse and she climbs on top of the thing and standing on the saddle and starts bouncing. (laughs) (laughs) And our son was so active when he was about one, we had to strap the, maybe 18 months. We had to strap the chairs to the table So we didn't pull them over to the counters and start climbing everywhere. (laughs) I shared that one time and a coaching
0: client said, Oh my gosh, I've done the same thing. (laughs) Some of what you're saying feels really normal to me. Don't, Many kids climb up on the table. Don't many kids want to just run when they get outside? So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what I'm hearing is it's a full body of all of these behaviors, though. It's not just one. My child likes to run or climb up, but it's continually and in many situations, you're seeing patterns of needing kind of like the deep bouncing or input that you called it. Do you want to shed any more light on that?
1: Yeah. A typical child doesn't run 24 seven or they're not like driven to climb in a way that they can't do other things. So a typical child will run and have fun and twirl and fall over in the living room and then they'll sit and they'll color for a while. You know, there's just a a flexibility versus a drivenness. I think that's what Lydia is kind of describing, but then also that hyper reactivity It shouldn't be typical for a child to fall apart at the sound of a flushing toilet, usually see clusters of these symptoms. And a key issue is if it starts interfering with daily life, then you know, you've got a problem.
0: That seems to be really key. If it's interfering with daily life, then it needs more attention. Good. Okay. Will you talk about your own awareness? It sounds like you started to have some clues early on, on diaper changing tables. And I don't know, back in my day was the baby Bjorn. That's what we all had when you held the baby close to you and you wrapped them like almost, you know, swaddled them right onto your chest. What else were clues in your awareness of this journey with your children? One was just the loudness of my one child and
1: that developed a little bit later in school age, but he actually had therapy for vocal nodes because he was always so loud. So he just needed to dominate that auditory overload with his own stuff. That was a clue. And just his agitation level was really high. We started to get some swings and different activities for him. And there was a day, it was right around 18 months and he grabs my pants. And at the time he couldn't talk. So his language was delayed later he got really loud, pulled me downstairs to the, the swing that we had and he points to it. So I put him in the swing. It was like, kind of like a hammock swing. And then he starts pointing at all the pillows that he wants piled on top of them. And so, you know, he goes agi- son, and agitates his on. Then I start swinging when he's loaded with pillows, and kind of all I can see is his eyes. <laughs> and he's watching me like crazy, kind of like the Princess Bride, where everything's paralyzed but the eyes. <laughs> and then he gets so calm. He's so calm. He's, he is literally looks paralyzed, and <laughs> I started to laugh. <laughs> And he gets this little smile on his face. So then his mouth moved instead of just his eyes. So anyway, a rambly story, but a description of how he was so agitated. He knew what he needed. He pulled me toward it. He got it. You know, I understood him. And then he really calmed down. I mean, that's a statement of the power of sensory activities, but also kids kind of internally just having a sense of something wrong. And I need you to fix it, mom or dad.
2: I think for me, realizing this legitimately is hard for my child, like Mm -hmm. potty training. It's not just that they're a really tough kid to potty train. It's not just that they really don't want to be potty trained. This is hard for them to read their body's cues. It's hard for them to be sitting in in their high chair. For me was really recognize this isn't just about their behavior. This is something that is actually really hard for their brain Mm -hmm. and their body for some reason. And I think that's when I started to realize, oh, yeah. That's what this is. Even it's so ten- common
1: for parents to think, oh, they're just trying to jerk my chain or they're trying to get attention. And other people tell them you just got to double down on this kid, which increases their stress and anxiety and makes everything worse. And then that's just this frustration and stress cycle in a family mm-hmm. where the parents are fighting more and more to try to get control of this child with good intention. And the child is reacting like, No, this is threatening. I,
0: I'm overwhelmed. And you're coming at me with these demands and these consequences. And I just can't handle it. So I'm so in the parents shoes in this episode. And I just know parents are wondering, how do I know if I need to start pursuing this learning more about it and understanding If we have issues around sensitivity,
2: how do I know? I think that if you as a parent are feeling, you know, something feels a little bit off here, I relate to a lot of this. You know, if you're wondering try some of these strategies out. You know, all of us have a little bit of sensitive and intense in us, I think. And so a lot of the tools that we talk about for sensitive and intense kids, the sensory input, the different things that we teach can be helpful for kids in general. All kids have a little bit of extra trouble regulating their nervous system compared to adults. And so, you know, my thought is give it a try. If you're wondering, possibly do have a sensitive and intense child and it's not going to hurt to try some new strategies. Well, and we have lots of strategies.
0: We're going to go to a break right now, but everyone's going to hear about the seven practical calming strategies for kids, which would be a great place to start. So we'll come back after the break with a lot more tools and next steps for our conversation today about sensitive and intense kiddos. Do you have one really intense child or a couple? Almost every family in the Connected Families community has at least one child who is more sensitive and more intense than the other kids. Often what worked for your other kids doesn't seem to work for this intense child. Well, don't pull your hair out in frustration or try to force a square peg into a round hole. Some kids are different. It's a game changer when you learn some new parenting skills and can truly understand and empathize with your sensitive and intense child. Listen, you've got this and we can help. Our free online course called Seven Practical Calming Strategies for Young Kids will take you like 30 minutes and you'll learn seven activities that will help calm and organize your child's nervous system. These activities are fun and will be great in the morning if your child needs help waking up Or even in the evening if your child needs help settling down for sleep. The seven practical calming strategies for young kids is a free online course. Our show notes have all the details, or go straight to connectedfamilies.org. It's in the free section of the resources page. So go grab that today. All right. We are back after the break. And you know, something that you said, Lydia, at the beginning, you said that there was a coaching family that came to you and they were so discouraged. And they said, this child is ruining our family. And I, I just like my heart breaks for that family. They're struggling. And so I think that there's a lot of families as they hear your stories, Lynn and Lydia, and they hear all these things and they're like, yes, this is happening in my home and they are struggling too. And so my question is, what does the future look like for these spicy kids, the ones that are struggling and where's the hope? There is so much hope for these parents. And I say that both from a research
1: standpoint, but also from watching families for 20, almost 30 years now, and seeing that these sensitive, intense kids, when they, when parents are equipped to know how to guide them well and bring out the best in them, they just can become amazing young adults. Um, And there's actually monkey studies about that, that the monkeys, the little baby monkeys that were the most aggressive and, and sort of initially socially isolated or whatever, when they had nurturing parents, nurturing mothers, those monkeys by and large became leaders in the the monkey pack or whatever monkeys are called. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's just so much hope. When you see this intensity in your child, it's like, that's a God given gift that can be developed. These kids often, they're either like really energetic go-getters, or sometimes they're really deep thinkers. But in either case, God can use that. It's like our younger son, the one that was climbing everywhere. He has so much energy to, and he loves to serve. And our older two tend to be more in the deep thinker realm and super creative and God has used those gifts as well to to really be a blessing. These kids just have a I think naturally a deeper potential for compassion. And Lydia, I know you've had some thoughts about that.
2: When we have families come to us for coaching, they fill out a little information and in goals form. And one of the questions that we ask is, what does your child do well? And over and over and over I see parents describing their, their intense child with things like, he's the first kid to notice another child having a hard time. They love so big. This child is so caring, extremely creative. She forgives other people when they don't handle things well. Over and over, families who have a sensitive child, there are some really deep, amazing, wonderful gifts that that child has. Mm -hmm. At the same time, (laughs) as they have some really challenging behaviors. And so looking at that potential there, and certainly we can look at some of our favorite biblical characters. And I think that many of them were very sensitive and intense. So, (laughs) you know, you look at your Peter and Paul and Moses and, and these people and the Lord saw, you know, who they were and the Mm -hmm. amazing potential in them. And so that is, you know, what we can step into as parents is seeing some of those really the incredible intense things about intensity is not a bad thing. Being sensitive is not a bad thing. In fact, those are amazing gifts. Sure. It's just tough to parent these people in the little years. Yeah. right. <laughs> oh yeah. man, I love that. Say that again, Lydia. It's just
0: tough to parent these kids in the little years. It is. Yes. And we acknowledge that it's just the way it is for sure. Oh, that's good. There is so much hope for our kids. And and I just always come back to even like Ephesians 2.10, you are God's workmanship. Every one of you with every temperament and every difference of brain and all the things, you are God's workmanship. And so I want to join God in coaching you and supporting you and getting more perspective. What I think is so important is when
1: parents can get, a vision and shift from this kid is just the troublemaker, the problem child to this child has so much potential and God has gifted them in unique ways. And I want to start to build identity around that instead Mm -hmm. of identity around troublemaker, problem child, such a huge shift.
2: And it's energizing as a parent too, when you start thinking like, Oh, God gave me this intense, amazing little person. And I wonder what he's going to do instead of thinking, oh my goodness, I got to keep this kid out of jail. You know? <laughs> I <think she> does. <laughs> Huge perspective shift and one that brings hope and peace and, and some confidence too. I would imagine too that in the stories that both
0: you, Lynn, and Lydia talked about. So, Lynn, you talked about your daughter and you started really pounding her back a bit and that it, that was very calming. And Lydia, you talked about the swaddling the baby tight. When you found those things and they were like light bulb moments, I can imagine that was very hopeful. Oh
2: my goodness.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. I actually did a pretty
0: intensive
1: sensory input program with both of my younger two, and it didn't seem to make a big difference with my daughter. But with my son, it was absolutely transforming. And I did a more thorough kind of lots of sensory systems program with him of you know deep pressure massage type activity and some joint compression and lots of swinging and rough and tumble play. And when he was 18 months old, he had lost the few words he had started to have. And he was extremely agitated and he was no longer sleeping through the night. And when I began to do this, he was sleeping through the night in a couple of days. And by two years old, his language was exploding. So it can make a big difference when you just dive in with some of those sensory needs. And it takes a lot of effort is what your child really needs. Then life starts to get more peaceful. And that effort is not very draining. It's more life-giving as you start Mm -hmm. to have fun with your child, Mm -hmm. doing the very things that calm them down and meet their needs.
0: What's in the course, the free course is giving techniques that you've done with your kids and your clients because you're an occupational therapist, Lynn. And Mm -hmm. so they're kind of fun activities that you do with your kids to help them calm. Do you remember the name of a couple of them right now, Lynn or Lydia?
1: I sure do.
0: (laughs) I bet you do. Like they, they have fun names like sandwich and yeah. (laughs)
1: Okay, you start with what your kids' favorites are, and then I'll quick fill them in.
2: (laughs) Oh, Eric loves the the giant hands, the giant steps climbing up his back and sliding down. He really likes that one. So he Um, lays down, and you use your hands like feet kind of of on, kind of step up his legs and back and then slide down. He likes the vacuum cleaner, the bowling ball. There's (laughs) one where you're pretending you're squeezing them like a tube of toothpaste. And we always laugh about, oh, is the toothpaste coming out of your eyeballs or your ears today. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's playful stuff. But oh. yeah. so
0: calming to their nervous system. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that for families, these bring hope. It's like, wow, it's connection that they maybe haven't had in their daily life, you know, through all the chaos. It's connection and then it's calming. Yeah. you know,
1: and Think about how we connect with an infant. It's very sensory based and it's joyful, and there's not a lot of language. (laughs) And so it goes back to just really deep bonding needs in kids when they're having fun, receiving really pleasant, calming input from a parent. And there's just, you know, fun interactions and laughter and eye to eye contact and all those things. It can be an endorphin boost (laughs) for both, parent and child in those really stressful times of parenting.
0: Well, we've mentioned it a couple of times. That course is definitely a great place to start the free course. But I wonder where
2: else would you suggest parents to get started? You know, I think it's really important to start with some adjustment of expectations, right? Mm-hmm. Because if some things are legitimately harder for my child, and also legitimately harder for me as a parent of an intense child, it's okay to change the expectations for your family. It's okay for you to not be the one to volunteer for all the things right now. It's okay if your child is up and down at the dinner table. Stepping back from some of our expectations and goals for our family and adjusting to that, that to what's a what's a challenge that's right for my family? Mm-hmm. I think was really important for me to just have that grace of like, yeah, this really is hard. And we're going to work on it. And it's not going to be hard like this forever. But for right now, what can I do to take some of that extra stress off of my nervous system and my kids nervous systems?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would imagine thing. those those parents, they're Trying really hard mm-hmm. and yeah. feeling like they're not meeting expectations, and really they're they're failing at this because they're yeah. not seeing progress.
2: I can relate to that so much. Just the almost like this white knuckled grip on. Mm-hmm. I gotta try harder, and and it's not working, so I need to try harder. And what I really found to be freeing and full of grace is that I needed to try a different way not keep mm. trying harder. I need to try a different way. And, you know, approaching behavior from a sensory standpoint, instead of just a behavior standpoint, um, meeting my child's sensory needs. I remember when we started OT for my son, boy, we were in such a struggling place. It seemed like all of parenting was swallowed up in this struggle. And after a few months of OT and starting to work on just helping my child feel more comfortable in their body, I wrote to our I wrote an email to our OT and I said, I I feel like we've gotten to meet our precious son all over again. Like, I feel like I'm getting to have this relationship with him that I really wanted. Some of that struggle is just starting to let up. And it was because we were caring for his sensory needs and, and not just focusing on the day-to-day struggles and the behavior element. Very mm-hmm. powerful. Let
1: go of the need to be shiny and embracing what can I do to help my child where they need it most And connect with their hearts. Wow. Thanks for sharing that, Lydia. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, what are some key needs of parents who have sensitive and intense children? Because we've said it, it's a struggle. This just is a challenge. Certainly,
1: starting with grace for yourself, like Lydia was talking about, and just the mind shift of. I'm really going to go below the surface here and learn to reparent and to embrace how God has showed up in our family and not be ashamed of it. I just think that's just such a starting place of shifting our mindset from shame to just like, God, you are in this with us.
2: I think of a Bible verse, Isaiah 40, 11, that says about God, he leads his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. And I, I think if we can just get a hold of just a little bit of God's heart for us and our intense kids, I think he is just full of joy Mm -hmm. when he sees these little humans that are so very human, so very intense. Like this is some of the beauty of how God created us is to be vibrant personalities. And I think, I think God looks at our intense little ones with such a big smile Mm -hmm. with this confidence of like, I created this beautiful little person. And I think there's so much freedom and grace for us as parents of like, this is good. Mm -hmm. Intensity and sensitivity is good. Mm -hmm. Um, Challenging, yes. Mm -hmm. But there's some freedom here to walk out this journey of God's grace and his mercy for us. Yeah, it's like, can you look at
1: your child and just think, I can't wait to see what God does with all this passion someday. Yes, absolutely.
2: Yeah. I think the mindset shifts are so important. I just coached a family last night who has two very sensitive, very intense, very little children. And we finished the session and we had talked about some sensory stuff and just some new ideas and and thoughts. And the mom said at the end, she goes, I'm so excited. You know, like, I'm excited for what is in store for these kids. I'm excited to try some things differently. And, and that hope, I think, is what is so important for parents. You know, it's so easy to feel discouraged when you've got an intense child. I know I felt an immense amount of guilt for what I perceived as my failures. And so to shift that mindset to God's doing something good here, mm-hmm. that family who had shared, we feel like this kid is destroying our family. When mm-hmm. they were able to shift their mindset and start to think about what is God's truth about this child and about our family, their belief that they identified their grace-filled truth to hang on to was this child is God's gift to us for healing. And both parents had had come into parenting with some wounds from their own childhood, and they recognized that their child was God's invitation to them for healing. And I think that's so powerful. And I've seen that in my family so much, like this little child is who God put in our family to lead us to a life of freedom of healing and grace.
1: Yep. It's really about receiving God's grace and truth because we can't pass it on to our kids until we receive it. You know, I've seen what you saw, Lydia, just time after time, parents receiving healing for challenging upbringings as they receive and pass on God's grace and truth for their child.
2: Yeah. It's not about, you know, what are the strategies to help you get through life with your sensitive and intense child? It's about what is this gift that God has for your family? And that's so fun to see. Yeah. And
0: so there is so much hope and God's presence is so real in the midst of that. Really, whether we recognize it or not, it's who he is. And it's just part of our DNA as he's created each one of us. Our kids are sensitive and intense kiddos and even us sensitive and intense parents sometimes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this has been a fantastic conversation. Lydia and Lynn, thanks so much for being with me today.
1: It was our pleasure. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And yeah,
0: always is. All right. Well, until next time, ladies, sounds good. Thanks for tuning in today. Friends. Are you interested in diving deeper to learn more about sensitive and intense kids? Would a free short online course on seven practical calming strategies for kids be helpful for you? We have plenty of free resources to get you started. Go to our show notes to get all the information. And if this podcast has been helpful, please consider sharing it with a friend. That's so helpful to spread God's grace and truth to more parents. Well, for more information about Connected Families, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or go to connectedfamilies.org. I will see you next time.